Curtis, wake up. The show's starting. Oh. Hey, everybody. Sorry about that. Ah, man, I was just having this really potent dream. There was these books, and it's sort of like they were making a, like a path in front of me. Interesting. Yeah. It's funny because I was just wondering, like, where do I go next in my life? What do mm. I do to break out of this sort of funk that I've been in? And I feel like the dream had something to do with that. Like, it was telling me what to do. I don't know, dreams are, dreams are kind of weird like that. So uh, what are we doing here? Well, I was just about to tell the audience about the virtues of Swedenborg's amazing series of books, Secrets of Heaven. Wait, those are the books? The books in the dream? Well, then you've got to read them, Of right? course I've got to read them. And I've got to say that your dream has good taste, because this is Swedenborg's master work. In English translation, it fills 15 volumes containing three million words. Yeah, that's, wait, what? How many volumes? The truth of good of the true in the good of the truth. I can't read this. Believe it or not, what we're looking at here with Curtis and Jonathan is a microcosm. Swedenborg wrote that things occur in repeating patterns at different scales. For example, the human form is present in levels, meaning that individual thoughts and feelings can have the human form, we as people have the human form, and even all of heaven in aggregate has the human form. So too, the dynamic we see here with Curtis plays out all across the human race on different scales. There are all kinds of things God wants us to get in touch with, but there are barriers in the way. The problem is, in this particular case, the stuff in Secrets of Heaven would be really good for Curtis. But even though he had a dream, even though this is something that the divine really wants to bring him, there are too many barriers. Curtis's tendency to get bored, his mistrust of large, unknown volumes. God can't force his way past those without violating essential human freedom. But it's still so important for Curtis to learn. And God isn't just going to give up. So what can he do? I think we'll see. He's about to inspire Jonathan with something to say. Oh, hey, maybe you don't want to read 15 books, but could you read just one book? Well, I mean, that, that sounds a little more doable. It just so happens that I have here the brand new translation of the shorter works of 1758. Sorry, um, reading a book that's entitled the shorter works of 1758 sounds worse than 15 volumes of Secrets of Heaven. <laughs> okay, but stay with me. Maybe you won't read the 200.2 million Latin words about the inner sense of the Bible, but would you be interested in a vision of the apocalypse like you've never imagined? Or how would you like to experience heaven for yourself, know the secrets of the afterlife and what it's like to die? Or uncover a revolutionary hidden meaning to iconic religious imagery? Would you like to take a spiritual pilgrimage into the galaxy complete with conversations with extraterrestrial life? Or how about pick up a brand new thought product that could change the way you do religion and spirituality? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds cool. And what we're about to watch unfold is the timeless process of the divine pursuing all of us, reaching out in a customized way, using every tool possible to bring us home. Can, do you hear her too? Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever she's talking about, that sounds cool. Let's check it out. Hey, 
everybody. Welcome to Swedenborg and Life. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host. This is Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey, no matter where you're watching us from, you can tell that something special is happening. Because if you're watching online, you know that we're, we, wait, they left the studio? Where are they? What is this new place? We can get out of there. And if you're watching live, just so you know, there are people watching online at the same time. And what we, since we have all of your attention, we're not going to waste it, hopefully. What we want to do here is a couple of things. We want to deliver this spiritual message, but in order to get there, we have to look at something that was very physical. And we need to, to get to this sort of practical um, spirituality that has to do with God and the divine accommodation and how God reaches out to everyone. We need to look at something that happened in 1758. And luckily I have an expert on that here with me. Jonathan, what happened in 1758? Well, to talk about what happened in 1758, we really have to back up to 1749. Naturally. In 1749, Swedenborg started publishing his theological works that was in Latin titled Arcana Coelestia, or Secrets of Heaven. And after that, and these volumes were really huge, and he did, on average, a volume a year, every year for the following eight years, and they're so big that in English translations we have to divide them into two, and that's how you get 15 volumes of the Secrets of Heaven that you see here. And then he stopped that effort. Originally when he started it, he was actually planning on doing the entire Bible. Uh, you, at least you get little indications yeah. there. We'll get to this when I, you know, right. you, I'll cover this later. So in like 390 years. Yeah, right, right, like a, as a modest estimate of how long yeah. it would take. And, and he was no spring chicken when, you know, he was, you know, in his 60s when he started and at a time when average life expectancy was 37 years old. So it's kind of amazing that he was taking on such a big thing. And then in 1757, he paused and didn't publish anything. That's why there's nothing there. And then in 1758, he took a very different approach. He published five books in one year and they were quite a bit smaller, which is why we call them the shorter works of 1758. All of them, five together, are smaller than this last volume of Secrets of Heaven here from 1756. And what we're going to argue is that just like we saw that repeating pattern earlier, human form and thoughts, human form and people, human form in heaven, the pattern that you're seeing here of having something that's beneficial and then trying to find ways to accommodate that to the mind uh, is a divine pattern that pops up everywhere. Because these books here were all about these books there. That's right. They all point back to Secrets of Heaven. They all have these references. In fact, thousands, some tens of thousands of references back to Secrets of Heaven. And they're all different kind of windows to bring you people with different interests into that body of work. Because why do it? I'm not a Swedenborg scholar, but I think he didn't sell very many copies. There was one point at which he complained that he'd only sold four copies in two months. Right, which right. was depressing. Yeah. yeah, but he obviously thought there was enough value to this that instead of just saying, this is the truth, everybody better buy it right now, he thought, how can I get people interested? Yeah. And the way that the 1758s are structured, it's almost like each of them are a trailer for Secrets of Heaven. Hmm. Because you have each of them taking a different tack with a different focus, highlighting material that's in, like if we say this is a movie, they're all trailers for it, and this would be unique as a movie because it's uh, got so much in there that you can actually make trailers in different genres to try mm. to get people interested in the same 
movie. It makes me think of Secrets of Heaven 6832. Do you happen to remember off the top of your head how yes, that goes? Yes, definitely. Um, that, to read Secrets of Heaven 6832, I would say that it's the following. When the Lord appears to someone, the appearance depends on the person's nature. Oh. Because we can receive what is divine only in accordance with our nature. So you're saying it's that adapting thing that you were talking about. I'm saying, you would think, if you're God, you say, well, th this is how I am, you deal with me. Yeah, right. But this is saying the right. reverse. I'm God, and so, how do you want to hang out? You would how? think if you were going to meet with God, the meeting w would certainly happen at God's place, not your, like he's not going to, right? Exactly right. No, no, I'll pick you up at eight. Yeah. So, Swedenborg was trying to follow this same accommodation pattern, it seems, by saying, okay, you didn't like Secrets of Heaven in large <laughs> numbers. Well, let me pique your interest with a particular slant on that, and then I'll lead you into it. And interestingly enough, we're saying this pattern appears everywhere. That's kind of what we at the Swedenborg Foundation have been trying to do as well. One of these 1758s was Heaven and Hell. We used Heaven and Hell to sort of launch this whole step into the digital world. We had a Facebook page that was trying to get people to look at the content in heaven and hell and sign on there. And then maybe if you like that, you'll like the rest of the stuff. That's right. Yeah. So, gateway into the rest of it. That's right. So we're trying to participate in that pattern. And we're just thinking about Swedenborg back when he was trying to do this. And I'm wondering if Swedenborg was doing this today, is there a chance he would have done it differently than writing these little trailer books? Oh, I'm certain if he were writing today, he would be doing it exactly the same way in Latin with a quill pen. He's a purist. No question. So just wondering, because he was, he, the, the place he was even publishing out of, he was trying to do this with, on the front edge of technology, right? Yes, absolutely. In fact, he published in London, which had recently become the premier spot for publishing as of 1745. And so he goes there to get the best quality publishing, best distribution he can get in the world. So we obviously can't know how Swedenborg would behave in the current climate, but I'm wondering, since these books were almost like little trailers for the grand movie of Secrets of Heaven, what if he really released these books as movie trailers? Right, as if, like, as if this were a big movie, and then you thought, actually, there's five different demographics who might like the movie, and so you do one trailer for this demographic, yeah. but a different trailer for a different demographic. Yeah. So, coming soon to a theater near you, The Last Judgment. This is all I could bring this week. The Father offers you his blessing, Stephanie. Each week the offertory gets lighter. We need to instill more fear in the congregants. Are you questioning my methods, Brother James? Stephanie. You must take your family and go where I tell you to go. The time of judgment has come. It's going to be dangerous, but you will be protected. Inwardly good are being taken to heaven, and the inwardly evil are being cast into hell. Why is this happening? 
for the restoration of spiritual freedom. FYI, those scenes all happen in that book. They We're are not all just in that little telling book, a story based on it. No, no, that's, so, that all comes right out of the book. So obviously Swedenborg didn't make that trailer, but in The Last Judgment he sort of was. We, we call them trailers to Secrets of Heaven because they all have so many callbacks and cross-references yes. to Secrets of Heaven. So who was, when he released the book Last Judgment, who was he aiming that at, do we think? You, uh, the best way, and unless he actually says something, the best way to tell who he's aiming it at is just by the nature of the content. And in Last Judgment, interestingly, he says again and again, all the chapters seem to begin with, well, a lot of people think that there's gonna be some cataclysmic event at the end of times, okay. but no. Or people think the human race is gonna be destroyed. No, you know, people think that people will rise back up out of their graves. No, you know, okay. the Last Judgment's already happened. Angels are not a separately created race. So I think who it's for, is that it's for Christians, and it's particularly for those who ponder the apocalypse, the end of times, which was a huge topic of great, you, you know, even uh, Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton, the great scientist, wrote more about the end of times than he did about science and gravity and all that. Yeah. It, it was a huge topic back then. And maybe as Swedenborg and I always try to read too much love and wisdom into everything, but I see some love in that, that instead of saying, well, you didn't buy Secrets of Heaven, I'm done with you. He says, okay, well, you want to talk about this stuff? We'll talk about this stuff. And it reminds me of, uh, there's a quote in Secrets of Heaven about how God does this with ideas. Mm. This is from Secrets of Heaven 6472. The Lord does not force us to accept what flows in from Him. Mm. Rather, That's he so kind when you think about it. Because He could, right? Yeah. Rather, He guides us in our freedom. And so far as we let Him, He uses our freedom to guide us to what is good. So the Lord leads us in harmony with our pleasure and also... What? Our pleasures? Yeah. Well, that's a bad thing to base something on, isn't it? Yeah, what, what, what the people like. And also in harmony with, if you, if you like the last one, also in harmony with our illusions. What? And the assumptions we base them on, but he gradually extracts us. Oh, you mean like, so he's working with what we've already got, but trying to draw us out of there at the Rather same time. than just telling us... Oh. This is how There's it is. Wisdom. Moreover, it appears to us, and this is, this is all of us, by the way, because we've all got areas in which we, we think we're seeing clearly, but no, that's, that's nope. an illusion, and I'm going to work right. you right out of that. Yeah. Well, I guess I can speak for myself anyway. <laughs> Moreover, it appears to us as though we do it on our own. Yeah, right. The Lord does not break our pleasures and illusions then, since to break them would be to violate our freedom. That is a stunt. Wow, that commitment to freedom is really huge because we take pleasure in some pretty sick things sometimes. But why is the freedom so important? Whereas freedom is a must if we are to be reformed. Mm. And I, so I see, I feel like you learn ideas about God, you can start to see the love behind it all. So mm. that is, an, so the last judgment is in a way an accommodation to work with and upgrade and bend the ideas of a certain group of people to try to lead them back to what he was genuinely believing is like the best set of books. You could, he wasn't lining his pockets with this, but he's like, hey, this is something that's important, and I think, I think you should really take a look. And working with concepts and fears that people had, like, like stuff that was in their mind. Well, let's yeah. work from there and, and take you from there somewhere else. And now we get to this another facet of the divine outreach we're saying is the large-scale model of this. It's not just that there's one group of people that's worth going after. We're looking at how can we reach every group of people where they are. So 
Just like not everybody would be a Christian interested in those ideas, not everybody wants to watch an apocalyptic Da Vinci Code kind of movie. There are other groups out there, and we think that there was a different group that he was trying to reach with heaven and hell. And let's say he had a hit with Last Judgment, now he wants to, his movie studios doing heaven and hell. How might that play out? Well, perhaps something like this. Mom, what does it feel like to die? Is Daddy still my daddy even though he's in heaven? Yes, sweetie. Does, does Daddy have a job in heaven? He probably does, Charlie, but it's time to sleep. Will I see the Lord? What happens to the bad people? Can people hurt me in heaven? No, honey, nobody can hurt you there. What do you wear in heaven? Angels have clothes, right? There was a time. Do angels have superpowers? When wisdom of the afterlife was known. Do angels know everything? And wasn't only the subject of existential bedtime conversation. Like why we have hair? We once knew. And why our eyes are in our heads instead of our necks? Go to sleep now, Charlie. And there's a part of our spirit. Lights out. That still knows. Where am I? You're in heaven. Charlie! Dad! Experience heaven for yourself. Know what it's like to die. You know, Charlie, you're not going to see me for a long time. No. I don't want to leave. Charlie, I'll always be with you. And I have something for you, for all your questions. Take the journey into a revelation of wisdom you'll feel you've always known. it feels different. And there may be somebody in the audience that thought both trailers were not cool, but it may be that somebody thought that first one looks cool, that one doesn't look cool, or vice versa. And that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. Right? That this is a different group that that trailer's going after. And we really, it seems like there was a different group that the book Heaven and Hell was going after, right? I really think so. And Heaven and Hell states specifically at the beginning, we're lucky to have a statement in there, that says the demographic that he was looking for, and it was ordinary folks. He felt that people were being preyed on by these false concepts of the afterlife, and he didn't want that to bleed down into everyday people. So it's a kind of different demographic that Heaven and Hell was aiming at. And I think specifically, you can tell from the nature of the content, that it's for those who have lost a loved one, a child, those who are afraid of dying or wonder what the process is like. And that's the whole human race. I, and it, no wonder it's Swedenborg's most popular book. And notice that what you're listing there are all emotional reasons for being that's interested, right. rather than cognitive. And this, again, is reflected in the larger pattern of how the divine reaches out to the human race. This is from Secrets of Heaven 3146. The point of freedom is for us to feel and be motivated by a desire for truth when we are being taught so that truth can penetrate deeply into us. Oh, so you mean that if you're not so motivated, the truth won't go so far 
Like you need to have something that's engaging with it in yourself, right? That's exactly what I mean, Dr. John. Yeah, that's good. I thought so. All the way to our Hair spiritual self or soul and unite with goodness there. Because even though, I mean, the Swedenborg is claiming that divine providence is never causing the kind of separation that we get when somebody dies and others of us are left here, even that grief that we have can be, that longing for the truth can be a way that we're led into something. You heard me read a quote in the, in the presentation just before this about somebody who had watched the show and said, learning what Swedenborg reports about the afterlife is helping me deal with the loss of somebody that I love. So even there, there's a longing that's pulling us in. Yes, yeah, that's right. But drama and Da Vinci Code kind of movies are not the only two kind of movies, and it's not that there wasn't only two books that Swedenborg released. Mm. There is also this whole... You guys are obviously fans of reality TV, right? There is this sort of like docu-series drama style thing where people are kind of in the real world and kind of live in a movie at the same time. And, uh, you know, it may be that, that uh, there's a, a place for that in the 1758. So, again, in limited release theaters across the country, we bring you White Horse. White Horse is a sacred scripture. Two archaeologists. On a quest for ancient texts and ancient knowledge. I don't think they can all that. We'll embark on a journey in search of clues. This horse isn't even white! Scattered pieces of a cryptic puzzle. Only branch white horse! Tell us something! Stand to have a moment right here! I wanted to come together! secrets that reveal nothing makes sense it does make sense internal sense the meaning of life Who's White Horse for? This is probably one of his more narrow, laser beam focused works, right? Yeah, that's right. And I, I don't imagine that there was a huge demographic that was lying awake at night thinking, what does that White Horse in Revelation chapter 19 <laughs> verses 10 and 11 mean? Yeah. You know, but, Fair. Uh, <laughs> but there were a ton of people in his day who were steeped in the Bible and there was a huge debate about what does it mean and how does it mean what it says and all that. And so it was definitely for the biblically literate in a way that heaven and hell doesn't mention scripture much, uh, but White Horse is all about it and has a ton of references back to Secrets of Heaven, which is, of course is a gold mine of exegesis and, and biblical understanding. And that whole exegesis thing, this, there's a literal sense and then we gotta work an internal sense out of it, you could at times see that as unnecessary complication. But if you look at it in the other direction, if spiritual truth is valuable and rather relatively complex, there is a love in this. Hey, I'm going to give a version that you can understand easily regardless of where you're coming from. And Swedenborg says that, that God is actually accommodating divine truth through these correspondences so that no matter where we are, even cognitively, we can get something out of it. This is True Christianity 2.15. Some of the truths in the words literal meaning are apparent truths rather than naked truths. 
They are like similes or comparisons taken from earthly situations, which are therefore accommodated and adapted to the grasp of people who are simple or young. Wow, okay, so accommodated and adapted. There's another case that Scripture itself is written in that way. And an amazing thing about White Horse to me, it was a very short uh, book. The first, first Latin edition is only 23 pages long. And really? yet, in those pages, Swedenborg managed to do something that blows my mind so much I still can't get my brain to hold still and think about it, What's which that? is that what he says in effect is he says, I want to demonstrate to you that Scripture has an inner meaning. Okay, so let's take this story of the white horse in the book of Revelation. I want to show you what the white horse means and the robe dipped in blood and all, all the different imagery from it. Yeah. Uh, and so he takes you through it and what the inner meaning means of that story is that someday somebody's going to come along and reveal the inner meaning. Like that's like the inner meaning means that's a yeah. I know, right? And I, I like the idea that, that even though you can say, look, this is a self-referential, what do you call it, like a moibus strip or something yeah, like that. Right. But yet, we're going to have things in the Bible like love your neighbor as yourself. Things that are applicable anytime, anywhere. And that this, again, I see this as no matter where, where you are, no matter what mm. pockets you're in, I'm going to come and give you something that works for you, that I'm interested in how do I serve you rather than I got this thing up here, come and chase me. Yeah, you got to come Speaking here. of chasing, I noticed we haven't chased anyone out of the room yet with these trailers. We're going to fix that with this next trailer. There you go. So, I mean, if you, if you look at box office hits, yeah, there's a lot of dramas and, and things, but what about the family-friendly, outer space, kids movie? Swedenborg released a book, you may have heard of it, called Other Planets, and if he released it in the early 90s, it just may have been a trailer like this one. Hello. One of those monks that were trying to convert us. One man travels to the farthest reaches of the universe with a purpose. Love for power goes beyond our world. There are these religious people trying to force the minds of spirits from other planets to believe what they do about God, but really it's for the intention to make them their slaves. Other planets! to restore spiritual understanding to Earth's humanity. I am going to teach my next lesson about God. Which God? <laughs> Which God? As if there's not only one. <laughs> I'm so sorry. He's an associate evil spirit of mine. <laughs> the Lord has granted me opportunities to talk and interact with spirits and angels from other planets. Swedenborg Foundation presents Other Planets. Hmm, your name is Sway Dean Borg? Oh, you're an alien too. It's pronounced Svedenborg in Swedish. Spreading dairy? Svedenborg. Halle Berry? Svedenborg. Swedenborg? 
Sure. <laughs> That's a little silly. However, I would say it's not out of the realm of possibility that Swedenborg was trying to be a little silly at points in the book Other Planets, particularly the moon section, which we'll get to. By the way, every scene you saw in that trailer happens in that book. We, did, we made up nothing, we lifted nothing. That stuff really goes on, almost line for line. So who was Other Planets for in the first place when he released it? Well, a fascinating thing about this book is that Swedenborg actually you know, departs from his usual practice and says straight up two different categories of people that he's imagining. Yeah, and it's interesting that you know, nowadays we would call it clickbait or something like that. You put in interesting factoids in the title to try to get people to look at something. He says here it's not that extreme, but that he put things in there deliberately to interest people who wouldn't normally have been interested. This is from Other Planets 124. What I have said and I'm about to say about angels and spirits is primarily for those who believe. Okay, so that, and you notice it says those few who, who believe, which is interesting. So, uh, Swedenborg wrote Other Planets first of these 1758s, but he always mentions it last because mm -hmm. I think he wants you to be on board before you read this. Uh, and so he says it's primarily for those few who believe. Nevertheless, in order that others too may be persuaded to accept at least a few of these ideas, I have been allowed to include the sort of details that appeal to and intrigue the curious. Yes. And so you see what he's doing there. He says, I'm going to include the sort of details, and he does talk about cattle on other planets and what people wear and, and different kind of civilizations and what their church buildings look like, and these shocking sort of travels across vast chasms with smoke rising out of them and, and sort of things that he thinks, oh, people will be interested because they think, oh, this is something otherworldly, fascinating. And you see what he says there is, I want people to be persuaded to accept at least a few of these ideas. And the ideas are not, you know, something silly like, like uh, burping on the moon or something. The ideas that he wants people to accept is the oneness of God throughout the universe and that actually, as the trailer showed, we look bad to, to other planets. We, we're, we're not well loved in the other world. Burping on the moon, by the way, in the book. And it's there. And, and actually, you were telling me it, the way that it's written, it actually looks like it's supposed to be humorous. I think so, because you have all these chapters on different planets, and in every chapter you find out what par part of the universal human that planet plays. You learn about their worship of God. You learn about their home life and family life and all that. But you get none of that with the spirits on the moon. All you get is Swedenborg telling an embarrassing story about himself that he was terrified by the volume of these people, and then he find out finds out they're just tiny and they're on each other's backs and, and he doesn't say anything about their worship of God yeah. or what they, you know, like practically none of those other details. He may not have gone as far as the trailer, but it's a legitimate thing to do. You know, if Swedenborg is, like he says, taking his marching orders from heaven through the, the divine working through, that even if somebody, if all you got is you're curious about life, well, I'm going to put some details in here to intrigue and amuse you in the hopes, he says right in that quote, that you will then grab onto some other stuff. It's great to be intrigued, it's great to be curious, but there's some food in here for you spiritually that I'm hoping to get to you too, and that this is the way the divine seems to operate. Wherever you are, I want to come 
And it's amazing to me that uh, one of the ways, if you want to uh, dismiss Swedenborg as quickly as possible, you bring up the burping on the moon thing. That's the, the people have done it and done it, you know, over hundreds of years, that you could just get rid of the entire thing by mentioning that. What intrigues me is that to get to the passage about the burping on the moon, you have to read a lot of critique of this planet, uh, of obnoxious religion and missionary practices, and I think, oh, really, the thing that bothered you was the people on the moon, you know? Right. Like, yeah. So for our final book in the 1758s, we now th think of revolutionary products as being things like smartphones or drone technology or some kind of web cloud services or Alexa or something like that. But in Swedenborg's day, a theology was a really potent mm. release. I mean, this was a big, theologies were basically what was running a lot of the world. So if he were having to announce a theology today, how would he have done it? Probably not this way, but it's fun to imagine. This is the day I've been looking forward to for about two years. Every once in a while, a revolutionary doctrine comes along that changes everything. In the early 1740s, I started having spiritual experiences. They changed my whole perspective. From then through 1756, I kept a journal, indexed the Bible, wrote book drafts, and published a book series. Arcana Celestia changed the entire structure of Christianity and religion, but it was kind of large, wordy and cumbersome. Today, I'm excited to introduce three profound new perspectives on life in light, easy-to-carry, streamlined forms. The first one is a guide to the basic elements of life in the mind. The second is a revolutionary understanding of real love and faith. And the third is a breakthrough in concepts about religion and the afterlife. So three things. A guide to the basic elements of life and the mind. A revolutionary understanding of real love and faith. And a breakthrough in freedom, religion, and the afterlife. A guide. An understanding. A breakthrough, a guide, an understanding, a breakthrough. Are you getting it? They're actually not separate elements. They're one cohesive doctrine, all about how to connect with God's divine love and bring it into everyday life. Now, for the first time, available in one slim volume. And I'm calling it New Jerusalem. 
And here it is. <laughs> and that's a very faithful recreation of the actual iPhone unveiling it, if, if you weren't privy to that. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, at the time, theology was a big deal, and this was his comprehensive summary of his theology and points. But even though it was a summary, it still seems like, based on how it was written, it did have a target audience. It wasn't just for everyone. So who was he pointing New Jerusalem at? Well, I think in this case, he was aiming at seekers and people who would be open to his message. Because unlike Last Judgment, where he sort of set him up and knocked him down, here's what you may be thinking, here's a correction. Right. Here, he's, he's not doing that at all. He's just on the mountaintop. He says, this is how God is. This is how heaven works. This is how the human mind goes. This is what evil is. This is what repentance is. And, and uh, so it's not, there's no straw man in it. Right. And full of these references to, to secrets of heaven, as always. So I think it's for seekers who are open to his message. And it's... Uh, it's a beautiful theology, and it doesn't much reference the sort of existing trappings of the Trinity or the vicarious atonement or things like that. It's more for seekers, I think. And thinking about seekers, when we say the word seekers, everybody knows what that is, because spiritual seeking is this journey that a lot of people are on. Isn't that interesting? If God has created everything, that there's all this space for seeking. I think this is, again, evidence that there is an open world, you go in your direction, and wherever you go, I'm going to try to give you mm. what is right for you. This is Secrets mm. of Heaven 24. Another secret from heaven, in Secrets of Heaven, yep. is that the Lord leads us by means of things that really are our own, both the illusions of our senses there and our again. cravings, but diverts mm. us towards things that are true and good. So no matter what we're working with in whatever state it's in, this can be used to pull you in the right direction. Even your craving. Uh, yes. Does that so cover cheese? Cheese and chocolate, yes it okay, does. Okay, cheese and chocolate. Okay. So every single moment of regeneration carries us forward from evening to morning just as it takes us from the outer self to the inner or from earth to heaven. Oh, that's really profound because the outer self, like where else can you start? That's, that's where we are. Yeah. So even the foolish things that we care about, our pleasures, our illusions, our cravings, and so on, the Lord's trying to draw us to heaven from there. You know, lift us up, take us from earth to heaven. That's, mm. that's the only direction. It's not that God is looking at how are you moving horizontally? Do you have the right ideas? And, and that well, based on that, I'm going to decide whether you're a project that's worth picking up. Earth to heaven, <laughs> I want to pull you vertically no matter where you're heading. And whatever you choose to head, I'm going to work with you if you'll let me in whatever way is suited to you. So again, we see this pattern of diverse ways of reaching out. And like Swedenborgian patterns, I would argue this one appears all over. So to say that our program is participating in this is not very grandiose because all good is coming from God. If there's any good being done, it would follow the same pattern. I think I see some aspects of that. For example, we have the Swedenborgian Life show. There are all these different things that lead somebody to it. Some people are there because they have theological questions. Some are there because they're struggling with a particular issue. We heard some of this in the, the comments that I read earlier. We, some are looking for a moral compass. Somebody wants to reconnect with their religious roots. You have interest in Swedenborg. In rare cases, yes, people have interest in Swedenborg. And then you have spiritual curiosity. Any of those 
can lead you to, and we find people being led to the show from all these different spokes of the wheel, but then getting to this core experience where even if they had different reasons for getting there, they're sharing community with the people who are there. So that's on the micro level. Right, and we tr consciously try to change it up. You know, we'll have a biblical show. Yes. Uh, we'll have a show about something really far out. We'll have something very accessible or practical about your inner, you know, life and stuff like that. You might say we're 1758-ing all the time. Yes. And, <laughs> and the product placement and the, the pattern that I think we're, we've accidentally come to emulate that I think Swedenborg was trying to emulate is this one that plays out on much grander scales with God Swedenborg says that all the major, the, the major religious traditions, there, there are aspects of them that God is, okay, let's bring this into being because it suits you in a particular way. That there's certain people who are going to go for one that wouldn't go for the other instead of just saying, there's one route, all these are available for that. In fact, Swedenborg said that, I don't know if you remember this little detail from the Old Testament, but it says that King Solomon, I forget the numbers, but it was like he had, uh, you know, 300 wives and 700 concubines, or the other way around, I forget the numbers. But uh, this massive Not good number, lifestyle. you know, polygamy on a kind of extreme scale. And yet Swedenborg says that the spiritual meaning of that is that Solomon uh, represents the Lord and that the Lord is married to all of the religions. All, he, it's not, and everybody's saying, oh, well, he's my husband. You know, yeah. Each religion is saying, no, he's mine, he's mine. But he's, he belongs to them all because he's interested in anything, anything that works, any code, any system, anything, you know? And I don't think that has to stay within the bounds of religion. I think that there's evidence that whatever we're into can become a pathway for God to reach us. So let's say you like engineering or mathematics or parenting or accounting. Parenting every once in a while, it's, it's fun. Accounting, sports, <laughs> just kidding. Cooking, music, woodworking, whatever it is, I think that those two can be these paths. And I think it because there's some Swedenborg points in that way. For example, heaven and hell, number 517 says, the Lord in fact sees to it that we love the constructive activities that suit our gifts. Mm. And then from there, what we love is what God uses to, to pull us in. It, it seems to be like that idea that uh, everyone is their own love and their own understanding and has their own place in heaven. You know, everyone's predestined to the highest heaven. Yeah. And so the Lord's got a heaven for every, you know, like it, yeah. it suits each individual. Where, wherever you came from, you can get there from here. And so is this the root of the, the whole 1758 method? We've gotten to talk about that. We've gotten to talk about spirits on other planets. We've gotten to talk about the Bible mm. and all related things. It's been a fun conversation with you all. I'm not really sure. I don't feel like I really know how to wrap it up succinctly, but maybe yeah. that's just where we leave it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know. Divine love has the desire to reach all of us, to rescue us, to lead us into greater and greater levels of happiness. Divine wisdom knows how to reach us, knows each of us in all our complexity and will use all tools at its disposal to lead us in our own particular way to our best possible destination. Well, I, I think, can go with that. I think that yeah. says it, yeah. That's thank good. you so much everyone for joining us for our live episode of Swedenborg Life. For those of you who are watching online, thank you so much. Uh, sort of Works of 1758 actually is available now if you want to check it out. Infomercial. Thanks everyone, it's been a wonderful evening talking to you. Yeah.